Good morning. Today is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. I am energized to be back with you. We had a fantastic time this past weekend visiting our children in New York and in Toronto. It was wonderful, amazing. And before that, at the beginning of the time that we went away last week, I attended a conference for rabbis that took place in New Jersey, led by Rabbi J.J. Schachter, an incredible person and scholar and teacher. Uh, I have quoted him to you many times, and I will be quoting him to you many, many more times. It was my first in-person conference in three years. And it was exhilarating to be together, a group of rabbis around a table, studying Torah together, trading ideas. And it was just something that was so fantastic. So I have so much to discuss with you and so much to share with you, which I hope to do over the next days and weeks and months. But I will start where our conference began in a very appropriate place with the discussion of gratitude. We began that conference, all of us rabbis, with a tremendous sense of gratitude for being able to get together, to study Torah together, to learn from each other. And I feel deeply today a sense of gratitude to be back together with you. So I'd like to share this, which is from Rabbi J.J. Schachter's first presentation of our conference last week. There's a prayer that we say every morning, every weekday morning. And it starts with the words, paragraph in Tehillim, Psalm number 100, Mizmar Lasoda, a song of thanksgiving, a song of giving thanks to God. And in that famous paragraph, we say, Ivdu es Hashem besimcha, serve God with joy, with enthusiasm. Kitov Hashem la'olam chasdo. God is good to us and his compassion and kindness is eternal. It's forever. The Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law, codifies the rule that when we say that prayer, that paragraph, which we say every weekday morning, we should say it, Yesh Omro Benigina. We should say it singing with a melody, with joy and enthusiasm to be able to express gratitude to God for all that God does for us. Rashi explains that this paragraph of Psalms was in fact the song that was sung by the Levium in the Beis Hamikdash when the Karban Toda was offered. So, when the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, was standing, there were sacrifices. One of the sacrifices that was offered was called a Karban Toda, an offering of thanksgiving. And that would happen when a person had something wonderful or extraordinary happen in their lives, and they were moved to express their, their gratitude, their thanks to God. So they would come to Yerushalayim, they would come to Jerusalem, to come to the base of Migdash. They would offer a carbon, a special sacrifice, a carbon toda, this sacrifice 
of thanksgiving. And while the sacrifice was being offered, the Levian, the Levites, had the role of singing. They would sing psalms during the different parts of the service. And when this sacrifice was offered, they would sing this paragraph from psalms, this poem from psalms. So we do not have the carbon, the actual sacrifice today, but we still sing the song to express our gratitude to God every morning. There are two unique features to this carbon, this offering. The first is, so understand, you're a person, something amazing happened to you, you're coming to Jerusalem, you're bringing a sacrifice, an offering. In the Beis Hamikdash, it's going to be offered as an offering, and then you're going to take the, the meat from the animal home, and you're going to eat it. It's a sacrifice. You're going to eat the, 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 the meat of the animal. And it's an entire animal. A small portion of it is burned on the altar. A small portion of it goes to the Kohen who officiates. But most of it, it's a gigantic amount of meat that you're taking home. There is a rule in the Torah that you must finish eating that night. Let's just say it's a Tuesday. You come during the day, you offer the offering, you bring it home. Now you have to cook it, you have to prepare it, and you eat it, let's say for dinner. You only have that night. If it goes beyond that night, it is actually a sin to eat it after that time. It's got to be eaten right away. In other words, practically speaking, you have to eat the entire thing for dinner. But the second problem is that it is an enormous amount of food. Because just think about this. You're coming home. You know, some people go to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store yesterday. So I bought three apples. I bought, you know, a couple of things. You come home and you have an entire animal that's got to be eaten that night. Plus, here's what's unique about this. What would, a, what would a barbecue be without bread? You have to have bread. In this case, you have 40 loaves of bread. Let me say that one more time. Four with a zero after it. 40 loaves of bread. <laughs> and you have to eat it all at dinner. How can you possibly, A, require that it be eaten so quickly, and B, such an enormous amount of food. I mean, one of the two has got to has got to give. Either give people more time to finish it all, or give a smaller amount, a, a more normal amount. But how is it possible to have such a gigantic, enormous amount of food that is finished in such a small amount of time? And the answer, which is not so hard to figure out, and I've shared this with some of you before, is the only way to do this is to invite a lot of guests. If you try to do it yourself, you will not be able to do it. So you invite everybody you know. 40 loaves of bread, an entire animal. You invite your family, 
you invite your friends, you have as many people as you know, and then you can finish it all that night. Okay. Why does the Torah give us these two details that put together require inviting a crowd? I mean, sometimes, you know, having dinner by yourself can be very nice. Having dinner with your spouse, a small group, that could be very nice. Why do you have to have dozens and dozens of people at this particular meal? So one of the great scholars of the 1800s, known to us by the acronym of his name, the Nitziv, wrote a commentary to the Torah. And he says, it's because, listen, you're celebrating this great thing that God did for you, this great kindness. Maybe a person, God forbid, was very sick and they got better. Maybe they were in a situation of danger and they came through okay. Something amazing happened. You want to share it with a lot of people. Don't keep it a secret. God did a miracle for you. God did something great for you. Share that. We refer to this in other contexts as Pirsume Nisa. Publicize the miracle. Don't keep it hidden. Let everyone know how wonderful God is. Ki olam chasto. God is good to us and compassionate to us eternally for all times, every day, all the, all the, every hour. Let people know. So you invite a lot of people. You're required to invite a lot of people in order to be able to, to finish. And more people will know about this wonderful thing that happened. Okay, that's the answer to the Nitziv, and it's a very good answer. But I want to share with you a deeper answer. And this answer is based on a linguistic curiosity. There is a word in Hebrew, toda. We use the word in modern Hebrew, toda means thanks. Thank you. The same word, hoda'ah, Another form of the same word has a very, very different meaning. Same word, but a very different meaning depending on the context. It means to admit or to confess in a legal setting. Jewish law discusses at great length when and to what extent my confession in Bezdin, in a Jewish court, is valid. What is the what is the legitimacy? What is the effect if I confess to something in, in, a, in, Jewish, in Jewish law, in a court? It's very strange that the same word should be used to say thank you to someone, and that same word would also be used to confess. For example, if I were to say, um, you and I are having a dispute about something, you're right. I confess. I owe you the money. You're right. How do those two meanings of the word fit in together? Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner, a great scholar in the mid and later 20th century, wrote a very famous work called Pachad Yitzchak, a very deep work. And he explains the connection of these two meanings of the word is because there is something in human nature that drives us to be self-reliant. We don't like to take help from others. Now, the truth is, of course, people are on a spectrum. Some people have more of an issue with this. Others have a little bit less. I'll confess, 
I'm a little bit on the extreme end of not wanting to accept help. It's not a good trait. I need to work on it. But it's natural. It's part of human nature. I want to feel independent. I want to feel I can take, no, I can do it. I don't, I don't need any help. I can take care of it. When a person has to say, I confess to you that you're right, a person is admitting it's not all in me. I am not self-reliant. There is truth that is outside of me. There are things that I don't know and things that I cannot do by myself. I need you. In a legal sense, I need you to arrive at the truth of justice. But in a moral sense, I need you because I cannot do it all by myself. This drive, though, is so strong that we try to deny it. We try to resist. We want to live our lives without needing anyone else. We think we do. And if that's true about the way we think about each other, it is much more true in terms of how we think about God. Because our natural instinct is to say to ourselves, wow, I just did a great job. Wow, I succeeded in something. I figured something out. Of course, when something goes wrong, then I'm complaining to God. God, why did you do this to me? You know, why did you why did you allow this to happen to me? But when something goes right, oh, of course, I'm so smart. I'm so intelligent. I figured it out. We are very, very reluctant to recognize the role that God plays in our lives, the fact that we need God. We need God at every moment. We need God for everything in the world. And if it's hard for us to accept help from other people, it is even harder, writes Rev Hutner, to understand that we need help from God. So the statement that I am making at this lavish dinner that I'm serving with all my family and all my friends gathered together, and we have to all be here to finish this meal tonight so that all the bread and all the meat is eaten, what I'm saying to all of you who have gathered is that I needed God. God did something for me. God saved me from a situation. I would not have made it without God. I need God and I need all of you. Because if you were not in my life, every single one of you, my life would be incomplete. The statement that I am making by having this dinner with everyone there is for me to be able to express what may be hard to express under other circumstances. I need you. I benefit from you. You help me just like God helped me. And my life would be incomplete. It would be less rich without you in it. And I am giving something to you at this dinner, this delicious food, which is holy 
and wonderful. I'm sharing this with you so that you will also feel that I add something to your life so that you will have a sense of gratitude for what you have received from me. Ultimately, gratitude teaches humility. In a legal sense, hoda'a, confession, I confess that I'm not always right, that I don't always know the truth. It's a very humbling experience to confess to someone else. In a moral sense, toda, to say thank you, means my life is better because you are in it. So Rabbi Schachter mentioned the following practical suggestion, and, and this, it's an incredible idea. Now, it takes a few seconds. It may take five or ten seconds, so I don't suggest you do it all the time, because who has five or ten seconds to waste so many times a day? Try it once a day. See if you can do this once a day at least. We have a practice. Before we eat any food, we make a bracha. We say a blessing. If I want to eat uh, a piece of candy, before I eat it, I make a bracha. Blessed are you, God, King of the universe. Shakol niyeh bivaro. Everything in the world came into existence through your word. What a beautiful blessing. It's a way of expressing gratitude. Thank you, God, for this delicious food I'm about to enjoy. Here's a suggestion. Take a couple of seconds and think to yourself, how many people were needed in order for that to reach my mouth? Just think about that for a moment. Whatever the item is, how many people were involved in the planning of it, in the planting, in the growing, in the harvesting, in the producing, in the packaging, in the distributing, in the selling, and so many others. Think about it. It's, it, it. The number goes up exponentially. And before I say that bracha, just think about how many people I need in my life. And I, I may not know them, but to be aware of how many people I need just to be able to drink a glass of water, just to be able to eat a piece of fruit, that's what a bracha should do for us. That is what gratitude should do for us, to recognize how much we are enriched by each other. This subject was the perfect note for Rabbi Shachter to begin our conference because it's so much expressed what all of us felt to be able to be together in New Jersey, a group of rabbis studying Torah together to be able to take home to our communities, to share with our communities or with our friends. And it is precisely what I feel today. And that's why I wanted to share this with you today. I missed you this past week. And I am so grateful to you. I feel it after having missed you for the past week. I am so grateful to you 
for giving me the privilege, for allowing me to study Torah together with you on a regular basis. So I say, Toda to you. Thank you. Having you in my life makes it more valuable and more beautiful than I can ever express. Toda Rabah. Thank you very, very much. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. It's amazing to be back together with you. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.